0: Hello, my name is Taylor Clement, and I'm head of school at Kirk Day School.
1: I'm Maria Massey, assistant head of school at Kirk Day School.
2: And I'm Gina Roth, a counselor at Revision Christian
0: Counseling. So as we get ready to delve in today to the topic of mindfulness, we brought in someone to just help us think through this as we are in a very different type of life, a different framework of life, where uh, we're either distracted constantly by Netflix, Hulu, Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, whatever you want to put out there, all the way to our work life and and even just our desire to be with others. And so, um, yeah, Gina, thanks for being on. And uh, Maria, I'll let you just kind of uh, begin to ask a few of the questions, particularly as you guys can do a little council speak.
1: (laughs) Awesome. Um, Well, Gina, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
2: Great. Um, Well, first of all, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Um, I have two kids of my own, and I am a counselor full-time. Um, part of what I do in my counseling practice as I work with kids is to focus in on um, dialectical behavior therapy skills. So that is um, big, fancy terminology for the, the combination of mindfulness, emotion regulation, distress tolerance, and interpersonal effectiveness. And we teach those as a, as a set of skills that um, can can help someone become more, um, more in control of their emotions, more regulated in their emotions, more able to interact with the people around them. Um, and it all starts with mindfulness. So that's a big part of what we do is teaching these mindfulness skills. So, Gina, um, tell us a little bit about what
1: mindfulness is because I think from some people's perspective um, – let's just say less christian that that things that wouldn't fit within our biblical framework there are those things about mindfulness that we may immediately think of
0: well yeah um, we think of a spiritual guide doing yoga on the beach who's kind of yeah, the, the you right. know making sure they they've got a really um, good yoga mat lululemon pants on and a phone to get that sunrise just so they can get the instagram <laughs> likes. so that's kind of where mindfulness seems to go but we know it's not that at all
2: yeah um i you know as much as i love the the humor in that picture i think that mindfulness really is something that started with uh, within a biblical framework i think it's all about connecting in with who god made us to be and that piece of mindfulness for me is, um, is what centers it in, into a, a biblical Christian framework. So um, if you think about it, you know, we're created in the image of God. We are um, made to be people with a mind and emotions, and, and mindfulness is really just harnessing the combination and the integration of all those things. So um, I'm I'm a believer that if you look through Scripture, you see Jesus practicing mindfulness. You see um, biblical biblical figures, um, both Old Testament and New Testament, practicing mindfulness. Not we didn't call it that obviously. I think that's a term that's come out of uh, more recent, like you said, more New Age um, Eastern practices. But um, I think at its core, it is um, it's a human thing. It's not about the religious practice at all. So. so how I teach mindfulness is more about connecting in with who you are. So um, it's about connecting that, that body, that mind, and that emotion, um, not not as some sort of secret power, but because God created us to be whole people. And mm-hmm. if we can tap back into that, then we can understand what's happening and we can help our brain to function at, at its optimal level. So um, I really think it's it's about, I, I guess, just how our our, our body works together in, in a really coherent, integrated way.
1: Yeah, I hadn't really thought about mindfulness and, um, and the perspective of it kind of putting us together as a whole person because you're right, if you engage in any type of deep breathing, any type of meditation, it is a full-body experience, right? It's not yeah. just your mind that's working. It's also recognizing your body and your emotions that come along with it.
2: And so much of what happens with the fall is that there's a disintegration of all of those things. So really, mindfulness is just a reintegration of things that have been broken by the fall. So I think if we look at it like that, if we're meditating on scripture, if we're meditating on God or who we are in relationship with him, I think it can be an absolutely spiritual practice.
0: And some would say that mindfulness, at least, and I mean this at a, at a very um, introductory level, is is really about being presently minded and not losing focus on on being distracted, but but being able to be fully present. Um, yeah. So can you can you elaborate on that? Because frankly, I notice my phone habits or my screen time habits. Really affect my ability to be present and mindful, especially when I want to escape, as many of us kind of do. Uh, we kind of want to build a little wall, so to speak, through our phone, and, and especially when we're when we're with others.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's I mean that's a great point and a great vocabulary, great way to talk about that that kind of idea of being present, being in the moment. Um, so often we happen, we tend to live in the past. You know, or we tend to live in the future, um, and either one is causing those feelings of depression or anxiety. But if we can just focus in the here and now, in the present moment, then we're really engaging with what is happening right now. Um, it can it can be free. It can help us to enjoy not just um, we're eating or the thing we're doing, but also the people we're with. You know, we become more in tune and more connected. We become more attentive to what's happening around us, and I think all of those things are just really uh, positive benefits of a mindfulness practice.
1: You know, Gina, in the world that we're currently living in, um, I have found it incredibly difficult, you know, especially in the work that we do as counselors, to stay present in the moment. Even, I mean, when you're on a Zoom call, um, whether it be with family or whether it be with uh, you know, a client or something for work, it is incredibly difficult to stay focused in those moments because it's, it's, there's something about the presence of another human body in the room, right? That's how we're right. created. So that makes sense. Um, but can you speak to maybe a little bit about what you're noticing just in the way that our world has changed over the past couple weeks, maybe why mindfulness could be a really important thing in this particular season of our life?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I think this is more of a, an anecdotal comment, but the people who I know who are, have already developed a mindful practice, mindfulness practice, and they're already in tune with that kind of as a muscle, um, those people don't seem as shaken to me as the people who have, have not been doing that, you know, who are living in the past, living in the future, people who are used to living in the present here, um, now, they're observing, they're taking in, and um, those people tend to have been the more grounded people I've been working with, Um, and I think that's been a really neat side effect. I I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting that from myself or within my client base, but um, it's been really neat to see because I think then, then it's about adapting that mindfulness practice that you've already developed towards this particular experience instead of creating one from scratch. So mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of mindfulness and, and I think it really is having a positive grounding experience for people who are, um, who are, are dealing with stress and turmoil and you know, school from home and work from home and um, a lot of fear and anxiety about the coronavirus and about um, just how that's going to impact our culture, our economy and all of those things. Um, but if we're focused on the here and now and the present, we're not focused on what is happening weeks from now or uh, months from now. We're focused on what's happening today in this moment. You know? And then there's a balance, of course, so you're not going to just be able to always focus on today. Uh, but, that, but that does help, right? So it helps us to, to focus on today, to, to reduce that anxiety, reduce that fear that can tend to bubble up if we're not careful, if we're not mindful of that.
0: Well, let's, yeah. let, let's poke at that for just a second, because I, I, I love that. And I think that there's an amazing piece in, in not allowing yourself to, to be overwhelmed. My question really would then fold into the part of saying, what do we do when that anxiety muscle, which is a little easier to flex in times like this than, our, than, than even a mindfulness muscle would be, when it begins to fight with the, the mindfulness muscle and begins to take over, um, we see in Scripture Christ, you know, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see, we see um, times where, where he'll say, Satan, get behind me, and things like that. Um, he's, he's the king of the world, uh, king of the universe. We're not. Mm-hmm. And so how would you encourage us to, to practice that mindfulness muscle, especially when we see the other, the worry, the anxiety, even even just the planning of what to buy for groceries or do I do grocery pickup this week or do I go into mm-hmm. a store, do I wear a mask, do I, you know, all the little things that we're kind of going through right now, where do you encourage that mindfulness muscle to be exercised?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, so there is, there's a balance, there's always going to be a balance. And, um, well, I know that may sound uh, more like a new age concept, like it, it's a scriptural concept as well that balance of you know therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself but at the same time we are supposed to do things right so we're not supposed to just let everything come to us so there's a balance of how much do I act and how much do I hold back and and I think that balance is part of what um so mindful it's this ebb and flow but so even here in the present it's not one stagnant picture it is, it's a moving. It's constantly moving, and we are just trying to tap into it, tune into it. You know, Every time I take a breath, I can notice that air going into my nose and down through my, um, into my lungs and then think about the oxygen being passed all the way through my body. Um, but I'm probably not going to be focused on that every single time. That just takes over, and that process is a natural one. Um, now, if I'm, if I'm feeling anxious, I might need to tune into that process. Right? I might need to slow that down and really focus in on that breathing um, or whatever that might be that, that, that you particularly are dealing with. but, um, but yeah, we're going have to we're gonna have to have balance. And I think the same thing is true for you know the how do I plan for weeks down the road and how do I plan for the right now? Um, it's a muscle. So we, we're not constantly working it out right If you're an exercise buff, if you're into running or if you're into biking or whatever you like to do for, or exercise, you're not constantly doing it, right? There's times when you come back and you rest. Um, those muscles need time to both be exercised and time to be rested. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's definitely about the balance. It's about um, giving it time and space to do what you can, but to do it safely, to do it well, um, and to, to really tune in with the process and listen to your body and to connect back with what with what you have.
1: Gina, something that I have noticed as I've, as I've worked with people and talked with people, um, particularly during this season, but in general, one of the things that I hear often is I start to feel anxious, and then I get anxious about feeling anxious, or, uh-huh. you know, then my, my mind goes to being frustrated with myself for feeling the way that I do. And one of the practices in mindfulness is the, you know, non-judgmental thoughts. Can you talk about just for a minute what what non-judgmental thoughts and processes look like?
2: Yeah, uh, that's a big one, and it's really appropriate right now. Um, this whole idea of non-judgmentalism and how, you know, if you have a thought, you don't you don't shame yourself for having that thought. You just notice that you have it and bring it back. Um, that's common language within mindfulness practice is just notice that and then bring your attention back to what you're focused on. Um, it, but you're right. Like it it can be, you know, you, you feel anxious and then you feel anxious for feeling anxious and then you feel shame for feeling anxious for feeling shame, you know. And so it's just really cyclical and compounding. Um, one of the things we, we teach in DBT is that no emotion really is a bad emotion. It's just a matter of, of is it one, am I able to still regulate it? And two, does it fit the facts? Well, anxiety right now really does fit the facts. Uh, there's a virus out there that we don't know everything about that is scary that people are, you know, there's, there's a death toll connected to this. And it, that's scary. There's, there's fear, there's anxiety that fit the facts. And then there's fear and anxiety that don't fit the facts. So um, again, really back to that balance, the fear and anxiety that fit the fact, we want to we want to see what that's going to help us to do. So that fear and anxiety might help us to make good decisions about going out in public. It might help us wash our hands more. It might um, help us to just try to contain the germs. Those are all positive outcomes, positive actions based on that emotion. Um, when it gets out of control, it might cause us to feel almost agoraphobic. like, Oh, no, what if I leave? Then what's going to happen? You know, if that fear starts to consume us, then we're no longer in control and able to regulate that. Um, So that's where I think the difference can come in. So anxiety itself is not bad. It's anxiety that takes over and that keeps you from being able to regulate it and do something productive with it. That kind of anxiety is the kind that we want to work on. Hmm. It's
1: a really good
2: um, perspective to
1: have in the midst of this. Um, I like that the did the feelings fit the facts? Um, you know does, does that and that helps us you know I think sometimes our feelings can make us feel so powerless. Mm-hmm. And one of the benefits of practicing something like mindfulness and non-judgmental thoughts is that it it gives us a um, dominion again you know which is what ultimately comes from you know, the Lord, um, you know, that, that he created us to have dominion over things. And part of that can be the decisions that we make. And, and I just see how much grief and, and pain, um, comes when, you know, our choice is kind of taken from us. And a lot of, a lot of choices right now are being taken um from us for good reason, but um, it can definitely feel powerless and that's what I love so much about what you just said.
2: Yeah, I just I think that the the piece about giving your voice back. I think that's really about restoring what God has made us to be, which is his image bearers. And I, I love that piece of being able to say, Hey, this is something you have control over, you have power over um, and I think that is a really neat thing to be able to see, especially with kids. This is why I love doing mindfulness practice with kids, uh, because they sometimes feel powerless in every area of their life. And this is one where I say, but God gave you power over your body. Okay, so here's how we harness that power, and we give you voice, and we give you control over this part. Um, and I think that's just a really neat thing to watch someone start to grab onto and practice and, and, and start to start to do for the first time.
0: I think one of the things that I I definitely struggle with um, with my kids is at least uh, my younger one is making sure that I have their attention and so if I'm if they're being distracted or if they're playing with something they don't want to listen to me but they're wanting to uh, either finish a show or play with their toy or whatever that may be watch a bird I'm going to ask them I need you to look in my eyes and just just for a moment we're going to check in or I need you to listen to me because what I have to say is very important. But when it comes to practicing a mindful approach or mindfulness with children, that's a very different concept for their cognitive ability. And so how would you mm-hmm. encourage parents to um, even introduce mindfulness to a child? And then what are the benefits of that to a child's life?
2: Great question. So the um, what I hear you saying, too, is, is, a piece of attachment. So I, I love working with parents and their kids on attachment in the midst of mindfulness because for two reasons. And the first is that parents are going to model for their kids what to do. Um, so that's it's, it's important that they're setting a good example and it's important that the kids that the child trusts the adult to to model themselves after that person. Um, but then also just so that when they get stuck, you know, then you can as the adult come in and really help with that. So I love the the model by um, Daniel Hughes talking about attachment and this attitude of playfulness. So P is for playfulness, A is for acceptance, C is for curiosity, and E is for empathy. Um, that playfulness, so when we're talking with kids and trying to teach them something like mindfulness, and I have a 15-year-old and a four-year-old, so I understand exactly what you're talking about in terms of keeping their attention. Um, I slip into playfulness a lot with my four-year-old. We will use funny voices or we will um, play a little game or we'll do something just silly. Um, And that usually helps get her attention back on me. The acceptance of, I get that you don't want to do this. I don't want to do this sometimes either. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. I still love you. You know, there's nothing... Um, something about you, the curiosity. So being like, I wonder why it's hard for you to sit still, you know, and then kind of asking little questions like that. Um, and then empathy, just being able to, again, just go back to, I get it. Like, this is really hard. Even with, you know, when we talk about feeling cooped up with this quarantine and social distancing, um, it, it affects all of us. So there's been moments when I just sit with my girls and I'm just like, damn, this really stinks. There are parts of this that I am just really upset about sometimes. And they're like, oh, it's okay to be upset? Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> so, um, so then we'll just kind of spend a moment. And we don't stay there forever, but it's mindful of that feeling when it comes up and letting yourself just be in it with them and say, you know what, this isn't nice for me either sometimes. I really don't like this aspect or that aspect, or I really miss my family, or um, I I miss being able to have lunch with a friend, or whatever that happens to be. Um, Mm. Just really trying to enter into those feelings and experience with our kids um, can do a lot for establishing the relationship and also just for letting that mindfulness be um, not just a, in, an individual mindfulness, but as a family, if we're mindful together, um, sometimes those those moments, and, you know, the younger the kids, the more brief those moments might be. Um, but it can just really help to connect us, you know, both for me and for my kids to be able to say, you know, just for a, a split second, we're in this together. We're going to be okay. It's okay, however you're feeling right now. Mm.
1: And, you know, that is, I think sometimes, again, we think mindfulness and we think I've got to take deep breaths and sit in silence for, you know, an hour, um, to practice mindfulness and practicing mindfulness is not just about being quiet. It's also about attuning Mm -hmm. to what's going on and the feedback that's going on around us and responding to that. It's not just, Hey, let's take some deep breaths and, and ponder, you know, on the universe for 10 minutes. Um, It is definitely a connection, and interaction with someone. So, Gina, one final question. I think it's it would be very common and understandable right now to see emotional distress uh, more often right now with our kids, um, maybe more intense right now with our kids, maybe even with ourselves. And so knowing that mindfulness can help us recover from that distress Um, manage that distress, even process that distress, what are two things that parents could do either with themselves or with their kids today to start the practice of mindfulness?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, the list of things I want to talk about is just huge on that. (laughs) But um, to narrow it down to just a couple things, Um, so you mentioned before there being more of an active attunement connection piece there's actually three different components, um, what we call the what skills with mindfulness, and that's to describe, to observe, and participate. So those three different skills are actually, we could pull those things apart. So if we're observing something, we're just taking it in. We're trying to think about all of the different you know things we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, like using our senses to take in information from that. Describing is putting those things to words, like put, putting words to those things so that you're able to say, wow, that is um, the colors and the textures. We're, we're putting words to those things to describe how rough something is or smooth um, and, and different different features of that. But the participate skill, I think that's where we can really focus with kids a lot and I think it's really exciting to do that. Um, so one of the things I recommend is dance parties. I love dance parties with my kids and just really letting go and being in the moment while you're playing a favorite song. Um, it can be whatever whatever you like. Let your kid pick a song. Let your child pick what, what they like to listen to. That can be kind of fun. Um, uh, I love dance parties. I love the participation in a dance party. And I think that just helps us to, again, connect. That mindfulness of connecting um, and then also like for um, it, it, if someone's trying to do mindfulness with their child um, teaching them how to observe and describe might be you know going on a search through the yard finding a bug or finding a flower um, if, if it's raining outside staying inside and lighting a candle talking about all the different things that you see that you hear that you smell that you most oh, well, i mean be careful with the tasting one we want to be careful with that one um, but that you can touch, right? Make sure those things aren't dangerous. But see what see what they feel, see what they hear, um, see what they can see and describe. So um, even just slowing it down to do something like that with an object, um, because kids are so hands-on, that can be a really neat thing to share together to start that practice in my mm,
1: That's awesome,
2: Gina. We really
1: appreciate your time and um, and your wisdom. Um, both, you know from the counseling perspective, but also just the way that that you integrate that with with, um, faith. It's it's really um, encouraging um, and inspiring. So we appreciate that. And um, like Gina said, she's a counselor at Revision Christian Counseling, which you can find online. And um, she's a great friend of mine and um, would highly recommend um, anything uh, that she is involved with for sure.
0: Gina, thank you so much, and parents, I would uh, definitely encourage you to, to go to their website, which is, like Maria said, revisionchristiancounseling.com, and, uh, and you guys can get in touch with, with her or the other counselors there. But, Gina, thank you again, and uh, this has been great.